And uh, today it's a single verse. Notice, please. From Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 16a and b. And then there's actually a, a secondary verse I want to read in Proverbs that I'm going to address briefly in the sermon today. Though mainly... Jeremiah 6, 16, A and B. Listen, please, to the word of God. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. And now Proverbs 22, verse 28. Do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. And to the reading of the word of God, let us all say together, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Last week I preached about our Heavenly Father. This week I'm preaching about our responsibility to those who have gone before us and therefore to our Heavenly Father. Um, Jeremiah's time, and if you will, I'm going to be referring to several verses in Jeremiah, so you probably want to turn there to Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah's time was uh, eerily, eerily similar to our time. God's people had turned away from him. They'd turned to idolatry. They'd turned to fornication. They were imitating worldly and pagan practices surrounding them. They were mistreating one another. They were cheating one another. The politicians cared nothing for God's truth. Even the priests, even the shepherds, abandoned God at His word and His word. That's what Jeremiah said. Sound familiar? Uh, Jeremiah one thirteen uses a striking metaphor. Uh, Do you have it there? Look to chapter one, if you will. Turn back to Jeremiah one. I want to read it because it's so powerful. Jeremiah. Chapter 1 and verse uh, 13. The second, that's not the text I want. Jeremiah, I'm looking for the text. It is, hmm. At any rate, I'll find it in a little while or tell you afterwards. There's a striking metaphor that Jeremiah uses to describe this apostasy. Uh, He says, remarkably, that God's people have turned away from the truth, the living fountain of water, and in its place, and those of you that have read Jeremiah, you'll probably remember this, they've turned away from this living fountain of truth, Jeremiah says, and instead you built your own cisterns. If you see the verse there, you feel free to remind me. I just wrote down the wrong verse. It's just truly remarkable. In other words, that forsaken the true God and 2.13. All right, I want to read that. 2.13. I was one chapter off. This is so powerful, I'd like to read it. 2 verse 13. Notice it says, for my people have committed twin or two evils. Now what are they? First, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And then he goes on to say the second one. And hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. 
In other words, that turned away from the true source of delight and joy and happiness and that created their own source. But the problem with their own source is that just couldn't hold anything. It was worthless. Well, God's people, in this case, Old Covenant Judah, were both a church and a nation. And uh, like Old Covenant Judah, the church today, in many cases, has turned away from God. We've become worldly. We worship entertainment. We think premarital sex is just fine. We keep quiet about abortion and same-sex marriage. We think there are other ways to God except Jesus Christ. In other words, we're living and thinking like the pagans around us, just like ancient Judah did. Not just the church, though. Our nation has turned away from God. Of course, uh, no modern nation is the people of God in the way Israel was. I'm not making that kind of uh, strict comparison. However, our own United States was founded mostly by Christians, and certainly on Christian principles. But like Judah of old, our nation turned its back on God. And it's truth. Uh, how many of you have actually, in your lifetime, you, you've read the book of Jeremiah? How many of you have read the book of Jeremiah? That book is, is almost painful to read. In fact, of all the prophets, it perhaps pained, the revelation, pained Jeremiah more than anybody. He says, his word was in me like a fire. And it was like everything that was being said was just shaking Jeremiah up. It just shook him so much. You want to read some of the most agonizing parts of the Bible, read, particularly the first part of Jeremiah. Now, you know, some people have the idea that God lacks emotion. That's an ancient Greek idea that's not biblical. I don't think they understand or truly believe the book of Jeremiah. Who would believe that? Reading the book of Jeremiah. God describes how his heart is broken because of his tender bride, the Jews, they've committed adultery. But he also calls the Jews his children. And he tells Judah, this is in chapter 3, verse 19. Listen to this. I thought you would call me my father and would not turn from following me. Oh, it's so sad. He says, I thought you would do that. But they did turn away from their father. And they did quit following him. Chapter 3, verse 19. So God warned that a fierce civilization would come and besiege the city and rampage it and take captives back to their own land. It's all just very harrowing reading. Oh, and by the way, did that happen? Do you know what ancient civilization did that? Babylon. Kind of fierce. I mean, it's in modern day Iran and Iraq. There are a few fierce people there. You may have heard about this, even in the past week. Well, in the middle of all this tragic apostasy, God the Father gives his children a way back. It's the one that we read, chapter 6, verse 16. Are you ready? Let me read it again. 6, 16. Stand by the roads and look. And ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. This Father's Day, I want to stress three important facts from that verse. It'll help us become better fathers. It'll help us to train our children to be better children. It'll help our church to be a better, better church. And it'll help our nation to be a better nation, if our nation would only hear. First, stand by the roads and look. Uh, the Jews were walking. They were traveling. But they'd lost their way. And God told them, quit walking. He said, stand still and look. Now that's remarkable. You ever notice that when you're busy doing wrong, Satan has a vested interest in keeping you very busy? He has a great incentive to keep you and me from slowing down and thinking. 
I mean, today we have text messages to keep us busy, and Facebook, and our iPod playlist every waking hour. Do you realize these days it is literally impossible, literally possible, literally possible to keep yourself from thinking about God and His Word and truth every single minute you're awake? That is literally possible today. Literally possible. With all the devices. And that's precisely what many people do. They instinctively know that if they slow down, if they're quiet, if they muse within their own heart, they might think about God. They might think about their responsibility to God. And they'll turn their back on Him. So they stay busy. They stay busy not thinking about God. But notice what God says to the Jews, and He also, by implication to us. He says, stand. Don't walk. Don't run. But stand and look. Look at where you are. Look at the road you've taken. Now, I'd like you to, and all of us to ponder this today. Um... Would you like to know why you are where you are today? Because you have been on a road to get there. Now think about that. You don't just magically appear somewhere, as in Star Trek, beam me up, Scotty. You weren't beamed to where you are. You actually took a road. Now, it may not have been an intentional road. Maybe you didn't get up one day... 10 years ago, or 12, or 5, or 1, or 6 months ago, and say, this is the road I'm going to take. But you've kind of been ambling along, you know. Oh, oh, look at that. And you kind of walk down, and you look, after a while you look up and say, how did I get here? You got there because you took that road. You see, if we're not where we should be, we need to get off that road and get back on the right road. That's exactly what's being said here. Now, um, let me give you some specific examples Check out Jeremiah 6, same chapter that we were in. This just struck me. Six. Notice, please, hope I got the text right this time. I did, believe it or not. 6, verse 10. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord to them is to them as an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. My, I just read that, and I was thinking... God, how is that possible? The Word of God, an object of scorn? Can you imagine it? But you know what, folks? We live in those days. Who wants to talk about living a holy life before the Lord? When pornography is so pervasive. When prescription drugs are so available. When filthy movies play at almost every theater every week. And also at home on premium cable channels. When, abor when abortion is birth control's backup plan. Isn't that tragic? Abortion, birth control's backup plan. When nobody cares about prayer meetings, when more and more people want the government to pay for their groceries and their health care and their prophylactics and everything else. You know, uh, time comes in the history of certain cultures and civilizations that they depart so much from God, they don't even know how far they've gone. Now, I want you to turn, here I am again. Sorry, I like the Bible. Jeremiah 1 Notice, please, that I get it right this time, I hope so, uh, in verse uh, 15. I think I also got this one wrong. It talks about blushing. Jeremiah, um, it says, my people, um, oh, there it is. No, it's, I'm sorry, it's 6.15. Notice, please, in chapter 6, it says, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? 
No, they were not at all ashamed. And now notice this. They did not know how to blush. Man, that struck me. Did it strike you the way that it did me? It didn't say that they didn't blush. What did it say? It says they didn't know how to blush. Have you ever considered how where blushing is in our culture today? Blush is uh, not the red stuff you put on your face, ladies, although it's also called that. That's sort of a, a very literal usage of something that it's actually based on. It's the red color that spreads over your face when you're ashamed or embarrassed or confused. It's like sort of when you, a friend says to a 16-year-old girl, Oh, I know you like so-and-so. You think he's so cool and handsome. And she starts, I didn't want anyone to know that. And she starts blushing. It happens when a sensitive, embarrassing topic comes up that you don't want to think about, don't want to talk about. Years ago, uh, young women, some men too, thank God, would blush when people even discussed sexual intercourse or, or pregnancy. And of course, they really, really blushed when people talked about shameful sins like homosexuality or cross-dressing or sadomasochism or incest. Few people blush today. They don't blush because they're quite comfortable talking and hearing about detestable sins. They're callous about the sins that anger and sadden God. And therefore, they're blissfully brazen-faced. Therefore, when they hear what the Word says, what the Bible says, they're often stunned. Did the Bible really say that? They can't believe the Bible would forbid what they take for granted. Obviously, then, the Bible has to be wrong. And so, as the Scripture says, they scoff at it. But if they stood, as Jeremiah said, <coughs> and they stopped, and they considered, they'd know they were on the wrong road. They'd see the ripped up marriages, the millions of children from broken families that barely ever see their mom and dad, the young single men that don't care about supporting a wife or children, young single women who care more about a career than about bearing children, caring for a husband. If they looked, they'd see the only They'd see the self-centeredness, the lack of real, lasting friendships. They'd see if they really stopped and looked. But they don't stop and look. And that's why Jeremiah, the Holy Spirit, speaking to Jeremiah, says, Stop and, and look, look, stop and look. Then after that, notice in chapter 6, verse 16, the verse that we are on today. It says, Stand by the roads and look. Then it says, Ask for the ancient past. Now, the Bible doesn't teach that all of the old ways are the good ways. I'm telling you, if we could just get back to 1955, everything would be fine. No, because everything wasn't just fine in 1955. After all, the first evil way, the first evil way is very, very old, the Garden of Eden. That was an old way. So don't think all of the old ways are the best ways. Uh, This is a big problem as we get older, as we age. We tend to look back on the good old days. We think they were better than they really are. That's called romanticizing the past. By the way, Solomon actually warns against that in Ecclesiastes. Have you read about that? He says, beware of those who look back into the old days and says, ah, those days were better than these. He says, really beware of that. Don't live and think that way. When Jeremiah there uh, talks about the ancient past, though, he means the past that the Jews all should have known about. The past that started their very nation. The covenant paths, when God pulled them out of the paganism. Abram, Abram, later Abraham, out of their paganism and made them a nation and gave them his word and 
showered his love on them. Solomon, by the way, was talking likely about the same thing. He said in Proverbs 22, verse 28, Don't move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. Now that's literally true. A landmark is established uh, to lay out property boundaries. Like, we kind of still have those. We don't call them landmarks. Property lines, we call them today. In the ancient world in particular, it was sacred. It marked out the land that a man and his family owned. To move a landmark, according to Deuteronomy 19, was to steal. You move a landmark, what are you doing? You're stealing somebody else's property. But there's the metaphorical usage also that's clearly implied there. Don't move these ancient landmarks, these things that the forefathers have set down about the way things are supposed to be. Don't move them. You know, the last few generations, uh, we've lived in a time that is just obsessed with change. Have you noticed that? Make it new, make it new, make it new. We tend not to make products that will last for many, many years. We make cheap products that will break very soon so that we can buy new and shiny products. Uh, Now, understand this isn't just because people want cheap products. That's not just it. The reason we do that, if you make something lasting, it costs more and people won't pay it. Yeah, but there's another reason. It's also because people want new products all the time. People are in love with change. And so we say about a a car or um, clothing or a house, Oh, that's so 2011. Now, uh, change can be good. If we're sinning, we need to repent and change. We need to turn around. Nothing wrong with improvement. But all change is not improvement. It's reading, as I said, C.S. Lewis this week. I encountered one of his famous statements. I love this. He's so quotable. He says, we all want progress, but if you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. In that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive. If somebody says, well, we believe in progress, say, well, I believe in progress too. But progress often means getting off the wrong road and getting onto the right road. Too often we're progressing in the wrong direction. Now, what is this ancient road? According to the word, it's loving and honoring and serving and obeying God. It means not trying to imitate the surrounding sinful culture. Oh, that's a constant temptation. And if you read the book of Jeremiah, you would see how God's heart was broken, that his people turned their back on him and acted as the pagans around them and worshipped the pagan gods. There is an antithesis. There is a radical difference between God's ways and the world's ways. Let me give you an example of this, several examples. Would you like to know the difference? God's way means glorious, committed sex within marriage. The world's way means all consensual sex is permissible and desirable. God's way means pouring your life out for other people. The world's way means putting yourself first at all costs. God's way for husbands means leading and cherishing and sacrificing for your wife and children, men. The world's way means letting your wife lead and ignoring her and her needs. God's way for wives means loving and submitting to their husbands and training their children as God gives them. The world's way is to create your own life, ladies, apart from your husband and from your children. I'm making my own life. God's way for children means honoring and obeying their parents. The world's way means getting your own way. God's way means you get satisfaction and joy by loving and trusting Him. 
The world's way means you get satisfaction from chemicals or images on machines. Gaming, we call it today. And you all know that I could go on and on and on describing this antithesis between God's way and the world's way. Now notice this. It's very clear in this passage. There are only two ways, and only God's way is the right way. <clears throat> Our uh, day is a day, of course, that doesn't like to hear that. It's a day of multiculturalism, a day of moral relativism. You know what I mean by that. That it's rude to say that one spiritual way or one cultural way is better than another. Oh, you have your way and I have my way and everybody has their own way and all these ways are okay. Of course, the multiculturalists don't really believe this. Uh, I like to call them the, the cafeteria multiculturalists. They like to pick their multiculturalism. They won't eat all of it. I mean, they'd never say that a racist culture is okay or a sexist culture is okay. They'd never say that, of course. They sort of remind me of the college freshman, you know, the young philosophical relativist who's always saying, who am I to judge anybody else's morality, man? You can't judge me. Nobody judges me. I can't judge you and you can't judge me. And oh, it sounds so cool and it sounds so hip, but he gets religion when somebody steals his iPod. Can you believe that? Who came in here and stole my iPod? I spent $200 for that. Then amazingly, amazingly, he gets some morality. Finally forced to admit there is a right way. There is a wrong way. There are the old biblical paths and there are the new worldly paths. Find the old path. And then finally, did you notice there in verse 16? It says about the old paths, where the good way is, the good way is, walk in it and find rest for your souls. Now I want you to think about this, particularly you young people, but also you old people too. The old paths aren't just the right paths. We sometimes make that mistake of saying, do the right way just because it's right. That's true. But that's not quite specifically what Jeremiah says. He doesn't just say that the old paths are the right paths. What else does he say about the old paths? They're the good paths. They're good for you. They're the paths that are best for you. They're the paths that bring you joy and peace and satisfaction and hope. In other words, God's ways are meant to bring us delight and peace rest in our souls. The devil launched his uh, big lie in the Garden of Eden. I want you to think about this. Let's for a moment go back to the Garden of Eden. He tried to convince Eve that God didn't have her best interest at heart. Did you remember that? Now the reason that God told you this, what did God say? Well, we can't eat of the fruit. Of, we need all of the fruit of all of the trees except for this one. And Satan says in the form of the serpent, and why did he say that? Well, I'll tell you why he said that. God doesn't care. There's something out there. There's some great joy and satisfaction and knowledge that God has that he doesn't want you to have. See, God actually doesn't have your best interest at heart. God really doesn't care about you. God re doesn't really want to satisfy you. In other words, God's ways will keep us bored. God's ways will keep us unhappy. But Satan's rebellion, Satan's ways are pure fun. Now, my friends, that is a destructive lie. All of the heartache, all of the anguish, anguish in the world has come about because people believe that big lie. Drug and alcohol and porn and uh, gaming addictions and uh, broken marriages and broken friendships and venereal diseases and uh, poverty 
and war and the terrible things that are going on right now in Iraq, if you've read about it, and other places. I just happened to pick that one out. And anxiety and sadness are all the result of believing on acting and acting on Satan's lie, Satan's big lie, which is God's ways don't have your best interest at heart. That is a lie. Jeremiah says, if you want to find rest for your souls, if you want to find rest for your souls, walk in the good path, the old path. I'd like to conclude today with an exhortation on this Father's Day. Fathers, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, don't be shy about leading your children in the good old way. That's kind of literally what Jeremiah says, if you see in the passage there. The good way, the ancient way, basically we would say the good old way. Be brave in your family, men. Take your stand with Joshua. Those of you, if you have an influence, and everybody here has an influence, fathers and moms, young people have an influence, take your stand to walk on the good path. I like what Joshua said in uh, verse tw- uh, chapter 24, verse 15. And that reference is right, by the way. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, he said, we will serve the Lord. Now, hear this, and I'm almost done. The culture wants you to think that if you do this, man, if you do this, moms, ladies, and even you young people, if you do this, walk on the right path and tell other people they should walk on the right path, you're imposing your views. But that's precisely the wrong way to look at it. The wrong way. Instead, if you refuse to lead in the good old way, man, you're leading your family away from joy and delight and blessing. Because it's only in the good old ways that you can find rest and goodness and delight and blessing. Only in the good old ways. And therefore, not to communicate those good old ways, not to insist on properly those good old ways, not to demand those good old ways, is to say, I don't really care if people are happy or joyous. That's what you said. We're leading them into ruin and destruction. Finally, from Proverbs, the text that we read. Our godly fathers, I don't mean necessarily our physical fathers, although that often is true, who went before us walked in the good old way, most of them. They worked hard, and they prayed, and they gave money, and they sacrificed so that we would stay on that road. We owe it first to the Lord to stay on that road, the good old way, but also to them. Uh, They've committed a sacred trust to us. They knew about prayer. They knew about reading the word. They knew about strong marriages. They knew about godly children. They knew about Bible preaching. They knew about a gospel church that stood for the truth and cared for people. They knew about a society that itself knew about God's moral law and tried to uphold it. We dare not betray those who have gone before us, the faith of our fathers. We dare not betray our Lord most of all. So let us live by God's tender grace and the good old way. And I can promise you on the authority of Jeremiah 6 and verse 16, if the world is crumbling on you because of bad decisions and disobedience, seek, search for the right paths. You search for the right paths, the ancient paths, 
and you walk on those ancient paths, and Jeremiah promises it's the good way, and God will send rest to your soul. That is a promise, and you can bank on it. Let's pray that we as individuals and our families and our church and our businesses and our nation will return to the good old ways that Jeremiah talked about. I'd like us to pray about that right now. Michelle, I'd like for you, if you will, brother, to pray a prayer of dedication in line of what Jeremiah talked.